I don't think I'm going to need the choir thing tonight, so we'll go ahead and put that. I won't preach from that note. Amen. I read a pastor today said that your reception, to kind of couple in with what Dad just said, your reception on Sunday morning is predicated by your Saturday night. And so I like that. That's kind of how I feel about that. I think that God, I love to come and kind of put the week behind me and prepare to receive from the Lord. Amen. Amen. So I, we have the blessing, all of us guys who preach on Sunday night, pastor already got you all spiritual on Sunday morning. So we get to come in and kind of clean up. We don't have to lay the foundation. So I appreciate, how many are thankful for the word of God that is so freely spoken here? I'm thankful for that. And it's not just one. It's not just one person. I'm thankful for the body. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, I want you to pray that the logos of God would flow freely. I think that's something we should pray, that God would encourage and, and allow uh, his ministers to speak the truth. And again, I know it might get old to some. I don't think anybody here probably. But I know it might get old to some. Why are we always talking about Jesus? Well, it's just there's so many churches who aren't. That's why. <laughs> and really, if you get tired of hearing about Jesus, you're probably on your way out the door anyway. So we might as well just keep preaching it. And so I, I'm thankful for the, the revelation. And, and I, you know, I've, Dad and I talk. We work together every day. And then on top of that, he's my dad. And he's the, my pastor. And we come to church three times a week. He, he isn't saying a whole lot that I haven't heard before. At some point, but I love that when the word of God goes out, when we're receptive, God teaches us something every time. I grow every time I hear the word of God, and I'm thankful for that. Amen. I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians in the in the sixth chapter in the fifteenth verse. I I, I want to share this with you. I alluded a couple of weeks ago when we talked about distinction, about being outfitted, and I was already thinking of this passage, talking about putting on the armor of God, and just that being a descriptive of a man. But in this case, the spiritual armor obviously has to be of a woman too. So, so this isn't gender specific. But I was already thinking this way, and I saw a picture, which uh, I want you to go ahead and put that up there for me, Haley. Can you put that picture up there? Uh, I saw a picture this week, and it gave me, the pastor was preaching, and it, and it gave me some, some insight that I really hadn't thought of in this way before, and it helped, helped to define something for me. So you can just leave that up there for a while. I want to get that image in our minds. And I want to read this verse in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. I'm not going to preach on the whole armor of God. I don't plan on it. I'm starting in the middle. But how many of you have heard a message on the armor of God? Okay, good. So we're not like foreign to it. I don't need to cover it all necessarily tonight. So I just want to pick up in this 15th, verse. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm going to reread that. Get it in your heart. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Lord, I ask you that you would help me to deliver your word. I pray that you would strengthen this body by it, that you would give us courage and that you would give us boldness. And Lord, that we would proclaim your truth without fear and without concern for favor, that we would speak your truth 
and see your name glorified. And we give you praise, Jesus. And everybody say amen. So I, I want you to kind of look at that. I, I was thinking about this. And like I said, I, I saw this and the pastor was kind of speaking on this passage. And something kind of registered that I, I hadn't really thought of in this way before. And that is that Paul sat for two years in prison. Two years in prison. And he wrote four epistles that we have in our scripture in those two years. And Paul had some revelations that were the result of his imprisonment. Paul had some things. In fact, he said, I will glory in my affliction because I understand quite literally that the revelation I'm receiving is a result of the hardship that I've gone through. And so in America, we want revelation, but how many people want hardship? Everybody's trying to come up with the new, fresh, newest word of God, but nobody wants to go through anything difficult. And I believe that the result of the difficult times in our life is the time often of the greatest showing of God in our life. It's where we learn the most about ourselves, but it's also where we learn the most about God. It's where we begin to understand some things that maybe we didn't know. And so Paul writes in Revelation, and I believe it's a direct result of his detainment. God allowed him to see some things when he was locked up. To Philemon he wrote because he had encountered Onesimus, who was a slave who had run away from Philemon or Philemon, which Paul had led to the Lord. And he writes a letter and sends it to Onesimus, or sends Onesimus back with the letter to Philemon and asks him to forgive Onesimus and to receive him as a brother. I have to believe part of that inspiration for this is his detainment and his understanding his captivity and seeing compassion because of what he's experiencing. He doesn't, by the way, give Onesimus the, the past that he doesn't need to go back. This is a strange passage. Anybody read the book of Philemon and thought, wow, it's a great place for a social justice message, isn't it? But it's not there. He sends him back, in fact. But what he does do is he implores Philemon that he would treat him not as a slave, but as a brother. Because God is concerned that we should re remember and recognize that all men are created equal in his eyes. And he doesn't care what, what ethnicity we are. Amen. I, I believe that part of this. Now I don't know if Onesimus was imprisoned with him. Maybe he was captured. Maybe he had a, a warrant more or less out for his arrest. But somehow in prison Paul comes into interaction with him. And sends him back. It's a result of his imprisonment. To the Philippian church he writes that the result of his bondage is that the gospel is being preached. And that brothers are being emboldened because of his steadfastness. Paul understands that because of what he's going through. That the men and women of the church are hearing that he is not caving. That he's not giving in. And it is giving them boldness to stand in their own faith. He has a revelation about this while he is in prison. And to the Colossians, he instructs masters to be fair and equal to their servants, understanding that they have a master in heaven. Again, I believe all of these things are a result 
likely of being detained and, and kind of reevaluating. When we go through things that we don't necessarily want to go through, oftentimes it comes at the, at the source of reevaluation for us. I know for me, when things start going sideways, I kind of start with me. Did I do something wrong? Anybody else think that? I remember Beth when she was preaching, uh, I don't know if it was this women's conference or a couple times ago, and she said that things were going really bad for them, and she looked at Kurt and said, have you sinned? (laughs) You, You ladies remember her saying that? When things start going weird, we step back and say, okay, Lord, did I do something? Did I miss the mark? And then... I think through that sometimes we, we realize, no, it really isn't me. Well, am I around people who are missing the mark? <laughs> is, it the, is it my wife or is it my husband or is it my children? And then we come to a point where we realize that, no, no, we're just going to have to go through some, some, thing, some things in life. We're going to experience some things. And I think that Paul has some insight as a result of his detainment. And what stood out to me was this thought. The pastor had mentioned that for two years now, Paul has watched as a Roman soldiers have walked back and forth in front of his cell. Where does he get the armor from? Where does he get the idea that we need to take on the armor of God? He gets it because he has been watching these guys parading back and forth. I don't know if he's got a window cell. Maybe he's looking out into the yard and seeing the garrison go through its regiments and watching all of their, of their armor that they put on in order to conduct themselves as a military apparatus. They are prepared in all of these ways. And so he goes through the different aspects of the armor. Now to me, all of these things were fairly obvious, but what I didn't realize was this. I didn't see this. I, I've never, anybody ever seen this picture before, or a picture like this before? This is the Roman centurion sandals. Now, I don't know why, but to me, I just assumed sandals. I mean, a lot of you ladies have sandals on, and I just thought of some kind of, probably had some leather straps they tied on their feet. I didn't think of the sandals as being a military issue, but uh, I know that. There is military issue boots because they work the best for every situation. And that's kind of, kind of the idea. And so it wouldn't have been surprising that Paul looks at this and he says, Listen, you need to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The soldiers would have been outfitted in the most cutting edge military equipment that was available to them. They're prepared as best as they could be. Defensive gear, weapons, protection. For this Roman army that was an unstoppable force. This army made cowards of tough men. And one day as Paul is sitting there, he looks through the bars. And he sees that this is what God wants us to be. Talk about... Wimps versus warriors. God wants us overall to be prepared for battle. God wants us to recognize that we are in a fight and that we can't wait to be assaulted to be ready for the fight. He starts in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Verse 11, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the methods of the devil. The revelation of God made him see that we are in a war for our faith and that we need to be ready for battle. We need to be prepared. We are in a war right now for the peace of mind that God wants his people to live with. We're not in a physical battle. He goes on to say the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He goes on to say in this chapter, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't fight in another place as one who beats the air. This is not a physical battle. We are in a spiritual battle and it is for our peace of mind. And Satan is coming in with fear to try to get us to act Emotionally, I just said this last time I spoke, but to get us to act out of fear by our emotions and not according to what God says. Now, for us, we love the Lord. Everybody here tonight is serving the Lord. We're not going to likely be drawn to go hit the bars as a result of the fear, right? We're not going to be drawn likely to just completely walk away from faith because of fear. I know you all, and I know that's not the case. But what does happen is that we begin to respond to what's coming at us out of a fearful condition instead of out of a condition of faith. And I think that this is where it's really important. Paul says, don't sit there. And shake. Don't let your knees knock together in fear. You need to start getting dressed for battle. This thought came to me this week. I remember when Rodney was in eighth grade. I believe it was eighth or seventh grade. We went down to a wrestling tournament down south. I think it was in Sutter. And we didn't know a lot of the kids that were at the tournament. And one young man in his weight. Uh, had driven up from the Bay Area, and he was supposed to be really good. And uh, the way we knew that he was supposed to be really good is he had his backpack on, and hanging from the backpack, he had probably close to a dozen singlets that were tournament champion singlets, singlets that he had won because he had won tournaments. And he was walking around parading those singlets on his backpack just to let everybody know that he was a bad dude. And I remember the one time in his life that he ever did this. I don't, I don't really recall. I wish he'd have done it more. He looked over at me because this kid would walk by and he would literally, I, he, I don't know how many times in the day he did it. Because we had several matches before we get to him. And and I, he, he would walk by Rodney and he'd literally just staring him down, giving him the, the stank eye. You, you better be intimidated of me. I remember Rodney looked over at me at some point later in the day and he said, I'm going to beat the tar out of that kid. I am sick of the way he's looking at me. And I'm like, that's what I've been waiting for. That's the attitude we needed, and he did. 
Rodney went out and pinned him. That kid, was, he was whimpering, crying off in the corner after we were done with that. But when we understand that the parade, you know, it, it really, the dog that's barking, I, I know somebody, and I'm not going to say who, I know somebody who used to fight dogs, and he has told me that when you see a dog that's doing a lot of barking, that's not the one you need to be afraid of. It's the dog that is sitting back and not making a sound. That's the one you need to be afraid of. And that, no, I'm not glorifying dog fighting, but I, I just give this example. And that the dog who's running and hitting the end of the chain and trying to be all tough... That dog, yeah, he might get into you a little bit, but the smart dog, he sits there back with a little bit of chain left so you walk close enough so he can get you. What I'm driving at is Satan is coming and he's got all of this pomp and all of this ceremony and he is marching out and he's got the, the trophies of his victories and he's parading them in front of us and he's trying to show us every reason why we shouldn't even show up to the fight. And one of dad's favorite lines is, and that's why we play the game. We just saw this organ on Saturday. Oregon played Ohio State. and was Ohio State before the game was supposed to mop them. They weren't even going to be able to compete. And dad's answer every time is, and that's why we play the game. See, the devil wants us, he, he, he gets us to never step onto the battlefield. That's his ambition. Because if we step onto the battlefield in the power of the might of the Lord, he loses every time. He can't even win. There's no war. He loses. So if he can keep us cowering, afraid, not prepared, he wins. That's why the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He, Paul's going to talk in this chapter. He's going to talk about righteousness and, and holy living. He's going to talk about faith. He's going to talk about these, these elementary uh, components that make up the winning format for the Christian life. And understanding that this is where we fight. This is what Paul is tapping into. Men of God... Women of God, you're going to have to start getting ready. Get dressed for battle. We used to tell the boys in football a lot, lock and load. Now, I think that's a military term, am I correct? And for that, for us, that meant get your helmet strapped on and your mouthpiece in because we're hitting. We're going out. Yeah, I know we've been doing sprints and we've been doing calisthenics and we've been running routes and we've been doing all that stuff. Now... Strap it up and let's go because we're in the fight. That's the kind of mentality that Paul is trying to get across here. So we're not warring against people. We need to understand that. We're not warring. Pastor said it so perfectly. We, I, I know I still am looking and I'm saying, where in the world is this coming from? This, this, this force in our government right now seems so dark. It seems so, you know, just penetrating every aspect, everything that is vile, everything that is wrong. It certainly can't just be coming from Joe Biden, and it's not. It's coming from the prince of this world. It's coming from spiritual wickedness in 
high places. Yeah, and he's part of it. I'm not afraid to say so. He's part of it. Wicked spiritually. But we're not fighting people. We're fighting spirits. And the spirit of fear is trying to take a hold of you. The spirit of fear is trying to get you to step outside of faith and stop believing that God is fighting your battles. The spirit of fear will also make you to go out and to try to gather the weapons that you think you need to win this fight. But it's not our weapons. It's not what we can do. It's not our ability. It's not our understanding. It's not our revelation that wins this fight. It is aligning with Christ. It is being where Jesus wants us to be. Come on, somebody say amen right there. He says we're fighting spiritual wickedness in high places. In verse 13, he says to stand. And in verse 14, he says to stand. But before you can fight, we've got to look at verse 15. He basically says, which is my title, lace up your shoes. Get ready for battle. Remember his revelation hits him as he stares at this Roman walking back and forth. This centurion who stood guard over him, many of them I'm sure. And in his revelation, understanding that this is a crucial part of the battle gear. Now this, has, this idea has been thought to mean... Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace has been thought to mean that you need to be a pacifist, you need to roll over, and that whatever is coming, you just need to take it because that's the gospel of peace. Anybody heard that type of stuff? That's not at all. Why would he tell you to get dressed for battle if he's telling you to roll over in the next sentence? That's not at all what he is saying. But a readiness. So the Roman sandal had hobnails, they call them, attached into the leather footbed. They would drive the little metal spikes. I, I immediately when I saw this, I thought of track shoes. Anybody else think that? It, that looks like a track shoe. It looks to me just like a cleat. I'll tell you somewhere cleats aren't really very good. Concrete. If anybody's ever taken off running with cleats on, I've done it a few times when I was younger. You don't know. You take off running, and you're after a little league game or something, and then you get to the concrete, and it's like, oh, there's the car. Woo! No, that's, but they didn't have concrete. They weren't walking on concrete there. That's not what they're doing. They're running around in the dirt. They're running over rocks. They're running through fields. They're climbing mountains. And so they attached these hobnails to the leather foot soles in order for them to have traction to hold their ground. That was one of the main things. They have, a, they have a shield and they have a sword. And if you've ever seen the phalanx of the Roman, remember a lot of those pictures that they would get in a line and they would have the shield there. Anybody seen those? And they're holding their ground. That's one of the functions of what they're going to do. They've got to stand their ground. Now, I know I give these analogies a lot. But... They may not mean anything to you, but to some they do. In coaching, 
we watch in football, we record every game. And I'm watching for all the years that I coached, me and the other coaches, even during the game, we're watching the line of scrimmage. Because you have an offensive side of that line and you have a defensive side of that line. And almost always, whoever wins the battle in the trenches is what we call it. Whoever wins there wins the field. If it's the defensive line that is pushing the offensive line around. Or if it's the offensive line that's pushing the defensive line around. Whichever side wins that battle almost always wins the game. And I have so many times, I have yelled at, at players. Yes, I actually have yelled at players. I've yelled at players, son, you got to put your foot in the ground. You're on skates. When you hear that, if you're a mom or dad and you're in the stands, aunt and uncle, that's not a good thing. That might be a good thing up at uh, the roller rink there in Reading. It is not, however, a good thing. In fact, we have this rule when we're coaching football. If that guy is bigger than you and he gets into you and he is lifting your pads and running you backwards, stop, drop, and roll. you got to make a pile because you cannot go backward. I have had kids show up to practice and they were trying to practice in tennis shoes. And we do hitting live tackling drills. You can take a kid who is not very good and put him in a pair of cleats and put him up against a kid who's wearing a pair of tennis shoes and the kid in cleats is going to win almost every time. And this is the primary function before we do anything else. We have got to have our feet shod. This literally means laced up and readied for the battle. Prepared with this gospel, the good news of peace. Paul says, lace them up. Get your feet in the ground. But you're not just to hold your ground. There's, there's functions on the football field. We're not just holding ground, but you got people who are advancing one way or the other, right? If the offense is trying to advance toward the goal line, the defense is trying to advance toward the ball, the quarterback. So we don't just want a piece of equipment that is really heavy that holds me in place. Concrete tennis shoes, for example. Set our feet in concrete. Get out there and I'm not going to move. But I also can't take ground. And I look at this and I see something that is pretty unique and interesting. Not only could they hold their ground because of the spikes that they had, the, the metal going down into the earth, they would give traction. But these are lightweight enough for them to run when they need to advance. These are lightweight enough for them to jump in this, into the river and swim across it, get out on the other side and take off running if they need to. This is an amazing, think of that 2,000 years ago, what an awesome piece of equipment. We're still using these today. I'm not sure ours probably aren't nearly that good. But the cleats that we put on have a description. So you need to lace them up. But our cleats have a description. It's the gospel of peace. It's not pacifism. 
It's not sit back and let it happen. It's not do nothing. That's not, that's not the idea of the gospel of peace. Two ways to get peace. Peace through surrender. and Peace through victory. And God's peace is the peace through victory. You can't concede enough with the devil to get peace. You can't concede enough with spiritual wickedness in high places to get peace. I'm not trying to make this all about mandates and shots and all that, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not about a shot. They are coming for Christians. They are attacking the idea of freedom to serve God how we believe is right. It's what this country was built on and why this country has been the greatest country on earth. And I'm not trying to just make it all about politics, but I cannot avoid this subject. This is not about vaccines. This is about control. I just heard a preacher get up. Big name preacher, two, three weeks ago, got up from his pulpit and said, if you don't get the vaccine, it's the same as rejecting Jesus. And I, I told my dad, I said, the devil's just shot calling now. He's literally walking out and staking his territory. If you don't think, this is, I'm, listen, we're not against vaccines. You've got a vaccine, you want a vaccine, get it. What I'm against is the government coming in and jabbing something in your arm and shooting you full of it and you saying, I don't have any right to resist. Because it is coming to our homes. And it is coming to our churches. And if we react out of fear, we're going to be running for the hills. We have got to stand in faith. And we've got to know some things. We've got to know some things in order to stand in faith. Again, you feel it's necessary? Absolutely do whatever you feel is necessary. I don't think doctors are wrong. Thank God for doctors. My mom's here tonight because Scott Berta pulled a tumor out of her head. We're not opposed to doctors. We're not opposed to medicine. But we have to have a freedom to serve God how we believe right. And I'm going to tell you something else. While freedom in a country is not a God-given right... True Christians are always going to serve God as they believe to be right. Whether the government allows it or whether the government doesn't. So right now, there are people all over China who are serving God as they see fit, even though the Chinese government says they can't. We've got to stand in freedom. And we've got to be ready for a fight. So we have description about the cleats we put on. We have a description about what our feet are supposed to be laced up in in order that we can do two things. We can stand, right? When he says stand, what, do you, what part of, of our body is he talking about? Our feet. Not talking about our hands. We're not doing handstands out here. Not our head, not headstands. We're talking about our feet. So three times preceding this verse, he says you need to Stand. So then what are we going to stand in? We're going to stand in the gospel of peace. Peace has two parts. The first aspect of peace 
is peace with God. Look at the book of Romans really quickly in the fifth chapter. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace. Everybody say peace. With God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we do what? You're not helping me tonight. In which we do what? Stand. Stand therefore, stand therefore, stand therefore. What are you going to stand in? You're going to stand in peace with God. With access through faith into His grace, which is the ability to stand. But it starts with your peace. If your base is wrong, you never win. Again, all these sports analogies, because I coached all, maybe that's the only reason I coached. I got it in my head. I got it figured out. You get your stance wrong, you will never win. We're always, forever, correcting a baseball stance or a football stance or a wrestling stance, anything, basketball stance. If you don't get your stance right, if your feet aren't in the ground right, you're going to lose the fight every time. You can have everything else right, but if your footwork's wrong, you lose. That's the name of the battle. We have peace with God. You cannot stand your ground if you do not have peace with God. But here is the good news about peace with God. I have been justified by faith and because of that I have peace with God and I have access by faith into His grace wherein I can stand. Peace with God is a legal term that says Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Here is the gospel of peace. Place your life fully in Jesus and you will have peace with God. As long as you try to find peace outside of that, you will walk in misery. You will never have peace. Your conscience will never be right or clear. But when we come to God in that sacrifice of His body on that cross and we say, Lord, cleanse me from my past. Make me a new creation. I now can stand knowing that I have peace with God. And if I've got peace with God, then I can believe that God is on my side. I can believe the scriptures that say that he's going to give me the ability to stand. I can believe his word when it says that he fights my battles for me. All of that is the result of peace with God. The second function of peace, the second part of peace, peace with God and the second part is peace of God. This is the peace that passes all understanding. It is the peace that knows when the enemy comes in like a flood that my God raises up a standard against him. We have peace with God because we've been made right by his blood, by his cleansing. But we have the peace of God because I'm right with God that I know that whatever the storm is in my life, God has not abandoned me. And I am not alone. 
Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. We are in a battle, not in flesh and blood, but you're in a battle for your mind. You're in a battle to capture the affections of your heart. And Satan is going to come in and say, listen, you better concede here because if you don't, you're going to lose your children. You better stop right here because if you don't, we're going to put you away with those who have lost their minds. But the peace of God is going to come in and say, listen, I am guarding those thoughts. I am guarding those fears. Literally protecting, putting a hedge around my life so that I can stand with the peace of God. Doesn't matter what my job situation looks like. It doesn't matter what comes down from the government toward Christianity in the future. I've got to stand in the peace of God. And if I don't, I will surely fail. We cannot hold ground and we cannot take ground without the peace of God in our life. I've stood on the battlefield at Gettysburg. How many have been to Gettysburg? I know some of the men have. I've stood on the battlefield and looked across the mile and a half, I think it was, from the Union lines to the tree line that Pickett stood with 12,000 men and they've got all of this armory over here and these men are given the command and run across the field knowing that almost none of them are going to make it. I don't remember the numbers. 200, 150 out of 12,000 men make it to the fence line on this side. I don't even understand that kind of faith. I don't understand. And that's just natural. That's just fighting for what they believe in. We better build some faith inside of us and lace up some shoes that say, you know what? I am not going to run from danger. I'm not going to run from the face of the fight. Because if we don't get that made up in our mind right now, we are going to run. We've got to have a conviction about what we believe. We've got to have a conviction about whom we have believed in and being persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. I've got to have a conviction inside of me that helps me to stand when everything inside of me says run. And we either believe that God is going to be for us and he's going to take care of us or we need to quit right now. And if we can't believe that God is with us now, how are we going to believe when things actually get difficult? If not now, when? If not here, where? Where do we say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to have to depend on you. I'm going to have to trust you. 
We can't trust that doctors can heal because doctors can't heal. Only God heals. We can't trust that that our jobs provide because jobs fail. But God is our provider. Jehovah Jireh. We've got to get our mind wrapped around some things. We've got to let the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all of my understanding, run a guard, a wall of protection around my thoughts. I am going to ask for a show of hands. How many would say you've been a little, I don't want to say afraid, but let's just say concerned about what's coming down the road? If you're not, you've been living under a bush. It's natural. But something rises up. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was in America at the time that Hitler was just beginning to seize power in Germany. And his statement, he was here, he was going to the churches in Harlem, he wanted to see what what God was doing in the black churches, and he was going to different churches here in America. He was a pastor, a minister, and, and when he heard of what was going on in Germany, he said, listen, nobody will have a right to rebuild and refocus the direction of Germany when she comes through this if they're not standing her, with her when she's going through this. So he returned. I don't want to go to Nazi Germany. But there's a faith that grips us. There's a faith that overcomes us, that takes us out of fear. We are in a battle, and listen, you can get it all figured out tonight, but you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, and the news is going to come on, and the same issues that you've been worried about, and you're going to hear yet another thing that's going to terrify us, right? It's not going away. I think back to a few months ago when I was talking about the, the guy who went into the brothel, and he told him, I can't tell these people it's going to get better tomorrow. It's not going to get better tomorrow. Now, I don't know what the future holds, but, but my promise can't be for us tonight. Hey, listen, hang on. It's all going to be brighter days. What the apostle would say if he was standing here tonight is you better get your shoes on. That's what he'd be telling us. You better get your shoes on. You better sleep in your boots. Anybody heard that term? They died in their boots. It was an old Western movie. I don't remember who started it, but they, you better be sleeping in your tennis shoes. You better be ready. Isn't this what Jesus told them? When, when you see that, that gathering, Titus is coming down, you better pray that you are ready to go. You better hope you don't have a lot of stuff to get. If you're on a rooftop, don't even go into the house. Take off running. We need to be ready, is the point. We need to be ready. I, I, I don't want to take too much time here. The ten virgins. They're all virgins. They're all holy. They're all set apart. They're, none of them have been tainted by the world. They're all pure. But five of them are not ready. 
God is saying we need to get ready. It's not just about being holy. You better be ready to fight the fight of faith. I don't want to hear about holiness. I want to hear about preparation. That's what we need to hear about. Be prepared to take the fight up. Be prepared to stand. We're already set apart. We're already God's people. We already live holy lives in this church. We already, we already are doing all of those things. We don't need to hear more about that. What we need to hear is you better wake up from your sleep because there is a fight coming and you better be ready for it. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall guard your heart and your mind. The devil is going to strut around and I am trying to finish but I have to say something else. The devil is going to strut around. He is going to discourage, deflate, destroy. He's going to scream at you every reason why you shouldn't trust God. He's going to give you every reason why you don't want to lose your stuff. He's going to give us every reason to turn, tail, and run. And frankly, it's just going to take somebody looking at the face of the devil and say, you need to shut your mouth. I'm not listening to that. I'm not, I'm not taking counsel from the devil. <laughs> I don't care what he thinks on the issue. It's irrelevant. You, you may need to shut off the news. You may need to disconnect from the social media. Get on your face and pray and stop worrying about fixing it. And hear the voice of God. Dad said something this week, and I was already thinking about this, but I have to steal it from him. That David had no intention of fighting Goliath when he woke up that morning. He was just going through his day. Shepherd, the dad says, go down and take, take your brothers some, some cheese. Take them some lunch. Just, he had no intention. He had no idea that he was going to be going to be called into battle. He's got a shepherd's bag with him, and he's got a sling, and he's got a staff, because he's got to walk wherever he's going and, and going to fight off any bad thing that comes out of the bushes. But he's not ready to fight. Not with armor. And he gets down there, and all of those men are all armored up. They got the traditional garb on of what you fight in. And all of them are hiding in the bushes. Well, Goliath stands out there and he curses God. He defies God. He mocks the people of God. And they all sit back and are ashamed and afraid to do anything about it. And what they're hoping is if they hide in the bushes long enough, he'll just go away. That's what they're thinking. David, and you can read that, obviously you know the story, and I don't preach on David and Goliath much, but I, I believe it's applicable right here. David, in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, in the 25th verse, round about there, he says, what, what's the reward? What's the reward for killing this Philistine? They said, man, you're going to be taken care of, and you get the king's daughter, and the king's going to take all the taxes off your dad's house, and man, it would be great. And he says, well, this is, a, this is a double game. Because not only is that going to take care of me, but when I stand up, I'm going with the power of God, and I'm going to kill 
that giant that's standing there mocking God. I'm tired of hearing him. I don't know why y'all are sitting here listening. And his brother says, what is wrong with you? You know what your problem is? You're proud. Your problem is you think you know better. You won't just get in line with what everybody else is doing. You won't just, just take it like everybody else is taking it. You're going to rile up that giant and he's going to come after us if you don't shut your mouth. You're insolent and you're proud. You're trying to get glory for yourself. And David looks at his brother and says, what have I done? Is there not a cause? What's the trigger point? What's the hill? We have sat, now I'm not this church, but we have sat in this country as a Christian nation and churches have said nothing about abortion and have said nothing about homosexuality and said nothing about transgenderism and said nothing about adultery and nothing about fornication. And we've sat back and said, listen, if we just keep quiet long enough, maybe it'll go away. And Goliath just stands there taunting. You bunch of cowards is all you are. I'm not going to take I'm not going to walk away from here. I'm going to take where you're standing. Where you're hiding is going to be my territory too. That's what the devil says. And it's time for us which we have been doing, but it needs to get louder. It's time for us to say that abortion is murder. It's nothing but murder. I, I love the one pastor I heard, heard this week. Somebody said, well, if it was your daughter, or if it was your wife, or if it was your mother that got raped or is a victim of incest, would you still be abor- against abortion? And he said, yes, next question. <laughs> it's murder. Homosexuality is sodomy. It's a sin. It's, it's despicable and an abomination before God. There's no question about it. There's nowhere to go with it. Adultery and fornication and drunkenness will send you to hell and the church is not saying a word. Why? Hoping Goliath goes away. I feel the spirit that quickened David rising up inside of this body and preparing us for battle. I'm almost done. They take David, and they get him into Saul, and they put all of Saul's armor on him. Because this is how you win wars. This is what you do as a Christian. We we don't, no, 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 no. Peace. We, We gotta compromise. That's that's what we need to do. We can't ruffle feathers. Jesus was a pacifist. He's all about us sitting back and and not not offending anybody. He's all about us not taking any hard stands. What you need to do is wear the same armor. Yeah, we got to fight. Okay, we'll wear the same armor Saul's wearing. As Saul sits in his tent, afraid of 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 a giant. Saul's afraid to say anything, and we're going to fight the same battle the same old way. Nope, time to fight on a different ground. 
So David gets it all on. He looks at him. He says, I can't even walk in this stuff. That's literally what he says. Get it off me. I can't walk. And as you read down, I just, I got this visual in my mind. It says that as the Philistines started drawing near, that David took off and ran at him. Goliath is not only a monster of a man with incredible, almost unhuman strength, but he also has an armor bearer who's carrying the shield in front of him. And David takes off at a sprint, running at him. And he literally is like, what, did, what are they sending out here? Who do you think you are? And I just got this visual. The devil's looking over and he says, oh, you church quit. See, they're sitting down. No, I'm just tying up my boots. Give me a second. I, I'm getting ready because uh, we got to... We got to, hold on one second. Okay, I'm done with you. I'm done. I can see a David looking around. Goliath, what's what's wrong? You afraid? No, I'm trying to find a couple of rocks. (laughs) I mean, he literally is just not, he's not going to buy into this because when we stand with God, we stand in the right. And, and whatever comes, and this is what we, this is the peace that we have to have. This, the peace is not everything's going to go great. I'm not telling you that, hey, all we have to do is get five stones and we'll go out and throw them at the spiritual giant and he'll fall and everything's going to be perfect. I don't know what's coming. But the peace of God is going to be this. I don't care what's coming. It doesn't matter what this ends up like. We have got to stand up. And the only way we're going to win is to stand and to fight. We cannot win with compromise. We cannot appease the devil enough to win. We cannot compromise with sin and wickedness anymore. It's time for the church to rise up in boldness and say this is the word of God. This is the truth of the word of God. And we will not back down. We're not going to cave. I don't care. I don't care if we're the only one standing. It's not about being proud. Yeah, there's going, to be, there's going to be Christians who want you wearing Saul's armor. You're doing it the wrong way. You're doing it the wrong way. You've got you to be quiet about that. They're going to strip your tax exemption. Come and get it. <laughs> if we're serving God based on tax exemptions, do you understand what I'm saying? And we've got to be willing to say, I'm laced up my gospel shoes. The shoes of peace. Doesn't mean everything's going to go good. It's going to get bloody and it's going to get ugly. But I'm standing in peace with God and I'm going in the peace of God. And I believe that God's going to be with us tonight. How many agree with that? Then why don't you stand to your feet right now? Let's just believe that. Pastor's going to come, but I, I, just, I just want you to believe that. I want you to stand in courage. Say, the battle's not mine. I give it to you, Lord.
And through you, we will do valiantly. We will fight and we will win because Jesus wins. Amen? Amen. Amen. Give him a hand clap of praise tonight. Amen.